meeting long-lost relatives in Sicily, Grandma's Pasta Vazul, and her famous Melania Trump impression. This week, we talk with actor and comedian Lauren Giudice. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we explore a different place and the dishes, drinks, and things to do that make that place special. And this week, we're talking to actress, comedian, and author, Lauren Lojudice. Lauren tells me how she inhabits the headspace of Melania Trump for her famous comedic impression of the First Lady, the book she wrote about the experience, and a great restaurant that's in the basement of a temple. Lauren gives us her tips on dining in her hometown of Queens, New York. But first, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's available on all the podcast platforms, including just added on iHeartRadio. If you subscribe, you'll get the podcast automatically each Friday when we drop a new episode. A couple of notes, though, about today's episode. If you're a snowflake who's triggered by Trump talk, know that Lauren is a comedian. She takes some well-deserved shots at Donald and Melania, and I happily join in on the fun. So if that offends you, you might want to sit this one out. But seriously, if that does offend you, if you think this podcast should be free of politics, I would just say this. Travel and food are in and of themselves political. Where you shop, where you dine, where you choose to have a vacation, what you choose to eat is a political Act. And for me, in my experience, I found people that like to travel are generally open minded and accepting of new ideas. And that's one of the reasons I like to travel. And I hope that's why you're here as well. Destination Eat Drink. Lauren, thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink today. You're a comedian and an actor, and a lot of folks know you for your impression of the First Lady Melania Trump. And I've been thinking about this a lot since um, you agreed to be on the podcast, and I thought, how do you work to get inside the headspace of someone like Melania? And what I mean by that specifically is you can't just do the voice you know, and the mannerisms Mm -hmm. that can't just be it. You have to kind of have a psychological point of view in order for it to be interesting and funny, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How do you do that, Lauren? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely not going to, a person who just puts on a wig and starts making a funny voice, I'm going to really try to get inside uh, Melania. And, and that's what I did. So, you know, there's two, there's kind of like two parts to the process. There's one is, is getting to know the person and that's through like research. And then that's through different acting techniques, like lucid body is the one that I happen to, to use. And that's using different like energy centers of the body in which to help psychologically understand someone. It's like, um, it's like a physical way to do, to, to work on a character. And I find it very, very helpful. So there's like that part of it. And then there's like listening to, you know, with that is listening to tapes of the person over and over again and understanding how the like vocal intonations, what are they telling you about the person? Then there's the like, okay, I got who this person is. 
now how do I make them funny? And that is all about like how people perceive them because part of the, when you're doing something, especially for an audience, which is what comedy is, is that you have to understand what the audience is thinking as soon as you walk on stage as that person. So there, these are like someone like Melania is like very much a loaded gun. So I had to really understand how people perceived her and then how do I manipulate that to make a joke? I think that's really interesting, her public persona, because I was thinking about this in terms of what my impression was of Melania's public persona, because I lived on the East Coast for over 20 years. And I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, Donald was the butt of jokes. He was a laughing stock. He was made fun of in the tabloid. Spy magazine was brutal. And then I don't know, maybe I stopped paying attention or something. And suddenly he's back up on this big stage and he's got this new wife and I wasn't aware of it. So the the question is, when did you become aware of Melania? <laughs> and 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 how did how did your perception of her maybe change over time? I really I mean like so many people, she's just kind of like this background character. And I have to actually be careful because I know so much about her that I'll write jokes that no one will understand because <laughs> no one knows. Two inside and baseball. And what's kind of funny, yeah. So we found two in developing. Um, I co-write the the Instagram channel, the um, Flotus Official with a comedian, Jesse Snedden. And we found in developing the, like, developing the comedy there that if we – we, th- we thought something was timely. Oh my God, we have to get this out. And we found that actually no one knew it was going on. It wasn't that pressing. And you know what? Like no one has any context for what we're saying. So don't like worry about that too much. Just make the joke. It doesn't have to like stay so true to, to what she's saying. She could be, we do a lot of dubs. So like I'll take, we'll take a video and then we'll dub over the, um, with the Melania voice, my Melania voice. And <laughs> often people think it's really, really her, uh, cause we're only changing just a few words, but it doesn't like, we can use her talking and, and make it be about something completely different because no one knows where that speech is from because no one pays attention to her. So <laughs> oh, it's so sad. So we, um, so I really became more aware of her when I was writing one of my own jokes in stand up. I had a joke that I, you know, I was looking at a picture of myself and I was like, Oh my God. I look like Melania Trump, <laughs> miserable, but trying. Um, <laughs> and I got off the stage and the club booker was like, you gotta, you gotta do a Melania Trump impression because you look like her. And I was like, I don't really do impressions. At the time I didn't do impressions. I just did um, char- original characters. So I, I took the challenge and I did it. And that's, I kind of like, I guess I subconsciously was attracted to the character of Melania. Like you're always attracted to characters for some, for some reason, at least, at least I am. And I think it was something about like answering questions of a woman's value, especially in, in a partnership and what that means. So, um, I think I chose it and it caused me to think about that as I was developing the character, um, and so I had to learn more about her, but I wasn't necessarily like super up on what she was about. In fact, I didn't want to be, I don't want the Trumps in my head and they have been in my head for the last two years. And I want, I want them to lose so bad, mostly, well, not many reasons for the, you know, the, the well-being of our planet. But one of the reasons is that, oh my God, I can't live with her anymore. I'm done. <laughs> 
So you're not concerned about your loss of, I don't know, income or ability to do this impression because if and when they go away, it's not going to be as top of the mind anymore. Melania, I mean, she's going to fade into the background undoubtedly, right? Well, what we really want to do is then as soon as, fingers crossed, we want to be able to do the Melania Trump apology tour and be able to bring... (laughs) Awesome. So the wonderful thing about her is that she, no one knows or cares about her. And so she is someone I can put words in her mouth. So because Donald is not going to stop tweeting in November, no matter what happens, he's going to be, um, oh, God damn it. He's going to be the worst until his final breath, disgusting, orange tainted breath. So we are, we're not going to, the, the Donald, Donald, and he makes a lot of money for news outlets. So we're not going to stop hearing from them. So he'll somewhat be in the news or somewhat be relevant. And, and like, whatever, if I, something I had with Melania, like after November, it's not something that's super relevant anymore. And it's not as easy to make viral. Well, you know, the world will crumble if not. So I, let's, so it's like, <laughs> so a, a tiny bit of your personal gain, <laughs> you know, you don't care about that. You're looking f- out for the good of the planet here. That's kinda, yeah, definitely. That's and you know nice. what? I've learned so much through this process. Like I've learned so much about like how to go about working on an, an impression and how to present it. And I mean, I've been working on it. I've been doing stand up as Melania. So I've learned so much about persona and stand up. And I, I think it's like for me, like it's just a building block to, to something I hope better. But one more thing about Melania's persona, because I think this is interesting. When when uh, Trump first got elected in 2016, there was kind of this idea that Melania was a good person being held against her will in this loveless mm-hmm. marriage. And there was this mm-hmm. whole free Melania hashtag. Oh, then yeah. mm-hmm. then she goes down to Texas wearing this coat that's just awful. I mean, the worst thing that could ever happen. She's going down to see children in cages and has a coat that says, I don't care, do you? And I think Mm -hmm. at that point, kind of her public persona switches from being this sympathetic character to being complicit. Do you view it that same way? Well, the free Melania hashtag, and it's something I spoof in the book too, um, through a a fairy tale. I remake a fairy tale and talk about that hashtag um, through the Rapunzel story. But it is what motivated me to get really deep into Melania. They do these things. Like she just happens to tweet about LeBron James after Donald had problems with John Dr- LeBron James. She's wearing that jacket. She doesn't care enough to get that involved. She is being made to be involved. She, But she supports Donald. She, supo- she is gladly, gladly a pawn in his game. She doesn't write her own tweets. By her own admission, she hasn't been on social media in a long time. So she's just letting them tweet. So her staff and the West Wing collaborate. And she's able to be like a counterpoint to Donald in order to delegitimize the media and also to make him to like a softening force. So they want you to believe that Melania is a softening force in Donald's life. And so they do this th- these things on purpose. So that jacket was just, so what they do with Melania, and like she wore that slave outfit, like that um, sl- like slaver outfit, whatever, from Indiana Jones in yeah. um, when she was in Egypt. I mean, right. and when she did her Africa tour, I mean, it's, she does these things on purpose. So she, then she'll, she'll do them. And then when you comment on them, they say, how dare you comment on that? It's just her outfit. Right, right. 
So they're gaslighting the public and they do it again and again. And then, then they even, you know, the shame on the journalists who report on this because they'll say, Ooh, the, the West wing isn't happy with Melania's tweets that are contrary to Donald and be like, yo, moron. He is, they're doing that on purpose. They're making her tweet those tweet, like put those tweets out, which is really her staff putting them out so that she seems like a better person. And, and she's not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's, let's talk about happier things, Lauren. <laughs> let's, talk about, <laughs> let's talk about food. Cause that's about as much toxicity as I can take for a one conversation. Oh, you know, they, they, they make me do the tweet, but it's okay because I get the Prada and the Gucci and then I am happy too. So we can be happy. You know, I like the food. Okay. I like food. Don't say I don't. I like the food very much. When I do one of the shoots, when they give me the words and I write, read them off a teleprompter, I get a ice cream if I do well. And, you know, just, just a teaspoon. Okay. So Melania, my question to you is Donald Trump, proudly eats garbage every day. He poses in front of mountains of Big Macs and Whoppers with his thumbs up. Why do you allow him to eat all this trash, this unhealthy food? Oh, actually, I ask for extra bacon. <laughs> Listen, for someone who has signed a prenup, the way I will end up very well is if he go before I do. Do you not read the Goldegger handbook? Do you not know? <laughs> All right. Melania's playing the long game is what we're saying here. Oh, I um, play the long game. But let me tell you, if I can tell you very uh, confidentially, if I if I have to smell another McMuffin sandwich, I, it will be too late soon, too too early, I, whatever. It's going to be the worst. I do not want to smell another McMuffin for the rest of my life. In fact, if he go and I alone in the penthouse of Trump Tower, I, in my dreams, this is the case, I am alone in the penthouse and not a fast food can enter the threshold. That is going to be my life. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Melania. Um, we need Lauren back here. Um, okay. So, All right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and here's the thing. Uh, be before, like 10 years ago, when I was in Slovenia, and I didn't even know who Melania Trump was, I'd never even heard of her at that point. Um, Neither did anyone there. But yeah, that's I, another story. I love Slovenia, and I still love Slovenia, but... Now it's just it's it's a little bit tainted, unfortunately. So well, you'd be fine. No one likes her there, so you know you'd find they, good company. So. so recently, I saw they have a there's a statue of Melania there, and someone had defaced it or something, and uh, they burned I, it. They burned it. We made a, a video of that, and she said, "I am the Melania statue. They love me so much. They set me on fire." <laughs> <laughs> and we have Melania in the flames. It's it's on the Flota's official Instagram account. It's really funny. It's one of my favorite ones we ever did. She thinks she's Joan of Arc or something. Um, all right. So you grew up in Queens, and uh, your family is Italian American. And uh, so before we before we get into this, your parents. Um, are, are they both Italian-American or do you have one side Italian-American, one side something else? Well, I've been, I was raised um, as Italian-American, a Sicilian, very much like the immigrant story of my grandfather coming from Sicily and, and my other you know, family from Brooklyn very heavily in the Italian culture. Yet I um, had a very different um, – I think I, it set me up to have a different – different relationship to food than maybe but I didn't I didn't seem I didn't look like everyone I'm tall and skinny I can eat for days I have a high metabolism I'm the asshole sorry guys I'm the <laughs> asshole 
And so, but therefore everyone around me struggled with eating and weight. And so it definitely set me up to have a very different relationship to food than everyone around me. So how does that affect you as an actor, as a comedian, someone who's in the public where your image, how you look is so incredibly important? I mean, someone I, I went, I was a very well-versed feminist and um, when my friends would be dieting in high school, I'd be like screaming, like, why are you doing that? It's all bullshit. Like, you know, love yourself, love your body, like love your curves. And then the moment I went into the entertainment industry that all got like thrown, thrown to the side, it was like, I was like hit by a truck and this wave of body hatred kind of came over me without like, even with like some part of my mind was like, no, I'm just like dieting like crazy for the job. And part of my mind was like, no, I, I, you know, it, it's just like very conflicted. So I, the way I got out of that was like, you know, just by learning about food, like reading about Michael Pollan and Marion Nestle and like going to farmer's markets and stuff. But I, I just feel like I am able to identify with people who like, like Melania, who has to wor- literally worry about it all the time because Donald will be commenting it and then you know, don't worry about me. If I eat too much, I just suck it out later. So she just like, um, so it is like something I now, so I got over it. Um, and it's something that makes me empathize with characters who have to really worry about it. But like, I just can't, I just can't, I just gotta like be healthy and I just can't go down that road. So I'm just lucky enough to be a skinny bitch. And so I don't have to worry about it. And I, to be frank, I'm just going to be real about it. And I'm a skinny bitch who likes vegetables. Like, I'm the worst. You mentioned that your family's from Sicily originally. Have you been to yeah. Sicily? I did. I went back. I got, I went to, I went to Palermo. First of all, good, the best rice balls I've ever had in my life in Palermo. Arancini, um, yeah. Yeah, best. arancini calda, si. Um, so <laughs> I had, I ate arancini as many meals as I could. And then I got in a bus and I went to Kanakati where, um, where my grandfather was born. And Kanakati is like for Italians are like in the Culo de Luna, like in the, the, in the butt of them, like all basically out in the middle of nowhere. So I went there and I didn't know anyone. And I, uh, got off the bus and I was like, does anyone know Lo Judice's? Lo Judice, Lo Judice. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's a small town and a lot of people with not much to do, they were like, all these people were helping me and they were going to put me on the local radio. And then we went, oh. this one guy was helping me. And then he was like, Lo Judice. And like, I know a Lo Judice. This guy, like the back of this deli, just like the crowd parted. And they was like, I know a Lo Judice. So he brings me over to a Le Judice's house, and it was my grandfather's first cousin. Wow. So I got to meet, yes. He didn't make me dinner, though, which would have been amazing. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> smarted from that, but the local, they brought me to a local um, bakery, um, and they call me, I ate so many sweets, they call me Colonzola, um, someone who likes to eat a lot of sweets. Very good sweets in Sicily, I would say. Absolutely. So what kind of sweets did you enjoy? You had a cannoli, of course, uh, very yeah, famous I don't in even Sicily. Rem- yeah, I don't even remember. I just like just shoved them <laughs> in my in my face. Another I was in another time I was in Sicily on the east side um, performing and we had some of the best seafood. is not great seafood in Sicily, um, like squid ink pasta. Oh, and it must have been in to, Catania. Oh, yeah. You go to these places that are like they just um, – 
bring you dishes. You don't even know what's what's happening. They just bring you food after food and you just eat whatever they bring you. Ah, oh, so good. I love Palermo, but the eastern side of Sicily is one of my favorite places in the whole world. I just love it there. Um, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, good. So I'm glad I'm glad you made it to Sicily. You saw, you met family. They didn't make you food, but still, that's, <laughs> that's fun. Um, grow, now, when you were growing up, who was the cook in your family? Was it your mother, your father, grandparents? Who was the, who was the best cook? I'd say my grandmother like definitely held the standard of cooking. Uh, grandmothers on both sides uh, definitely were, were incredible cooks. Um, pasta fazul was something my grandmother used to make a lot. She used to pack me with a few frozen containers of that going oh. into college and stuff. And eggplant parmesan. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My grandmother made a mean eggplant parmesan. I mean, and the sauce. There's nothing like your grandma's sauce. There's nothing like okay. it. Okay, so you you said the S word. So I gotta ask you. Um, it, it sounds like in your house it was known as sauce. Um, do you have any opinions on the sauce gravy controversy? Yeah, people are into. I don't really understand why it's a big. I guess uh, we say sauce, you say gravy. It's it's the red stuff. It's great, and give me more of that. Um, you know, second generation, third generation, these things start to be a lot less. Like, yeah, you're like whatever. I mean, people like now my cousins are even younger. Like, I bet you they don't even know that that's a thing. Right, right. <laughs> my my girlfriend's family's from Italy and you know we've been together we've been together quite a while and I got to tell you you know I mean it was her grandparents it was probably almost 100 years ago they came over it's still like if you say if you say sauce in in one of her brother's houses you will get corrected <laughs> vocally you know yeah. firmly and loudly you know it's not sauce it's gravy it's which gravy. you know me as an innocent bystander I'm I'll I'll Whatever you want to call it, I'll I'll jump in with you happily. Just give me a big bowl of it. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tell me some of your favorite places. You guys, you know, you're in New York. You guys went through this horrible pandemic. I guess things are starting to open up there, but uh, I don't think you have dine-in in restaurants right now. But let's talk about some of your favorite places in, in Queens where you live. What's the what's the cuisine, the Queens cuisine like there? What are some of your favorite places, some of your favorite types of foods? Yeah, so be, being, you know, someone from from Queens and from an Italian neighborhood in Queens, you don't like I grew up eating Italian at home, maybe we get a pizza out, maybe we'd go somewhere, maybe we go somewhere for Italian, like one of the few Italian restaurants in the neighborhood, but you know, of course, there's Gargiulio's in, in Coney Island we'd go to for like big events, like a big party, you maybe get catered. But we didn't like go and have Italian dinner somewhere often. And, and when I went to college, I was like, kind of horrified, like people getting Italian out. I'm like, Oh, my God, we don't do that. What is this? What is this <laughs> thing? Um, and then I watched them all eat spaghetti with um, without twirling it and was horrified and nauseated. <laughs> um, but some of the best, I mean, obviously, like back in the old neighborhood, the, some of the best places, uh, the best food is is Gino's, I think, is some of the best food. And um, it, the, they have good salads, which it's a lot of Italian food is good, good vegetables. Um, and of course, they do all the other stuff like the Parmesans and stuff. And the pizza is great. I think that's like a good, Gino's and Howard Beach is like a really good place to go to get kind of you could bring anyone there and they'll find something really good to eat good but obviously the best pizza is la villa which is also <laughs> like a little bit further out 
it's a contest of like who likes what pizza best, but we all have our favorites. Did you have did you have any other pizza in Sicily? Because there's different kinds of pizza depending on where you are in Sicily that you can that you can have. Like the um, the little uh, Sicilian pizza in Palermo, I think, is a street pizza is especially delicious. You know, I didn't. I was eating so many arancini that I didn't couldn't fit in the pizza. Next time you go, <laughs> next time you go, Lauren, let me know and I'll tell you. I'll tell you where to get it. It's oh my the best. god, definitely, please, please, would love it. So what other kinds of, uh, you've got the Italian neighborhoods in Queens. What, what other kind of uh, places are you dining in Queens that you like? You know, you one of some of the best Indian, I think, in New York. Uh, some of the, maybe even the, the, that I've been in here, not in India, um, in the United States, is in, is in Queens. It's um, at the, there's a temple up in Flushing. And it's a South Indian temple. And they have, uh, in the basement, they have a... A cafeteria, and they have oh, fantastic. The dosas are insane. It, I mean, it's direct. It feels like you're sitting in India. Their coconut chutney is out of control. I recommend ordering extra and taking it home. I mean, everything, everything, everything. Their sambar is dope. I mean, sometimes it's better or worse than others. Like you know, I'm a sambar snob, so. Um, you know, you're like, some days you're like, oh, that was maybe better last time, but it's definitely good. Like it's going to be the best you'll get in a lot of places. So I recommend that place. That's like a little known place that is well, it's definitely a hike. It's not, it's like a day trip, you know, it's not someone to be like, Hey, let's go meet for dinner. By the way, we're getting on a train and we're going an hour and a half to Queens. (laughs) So (laughs) right, right. Anytime you're going into a basement to have food, I think you're going to have a an interesting experience. It's going to either be the best or else you're going to be like, are we in someone's rec room? Like what happened Yeah. Here? Like what is what is this? Um, definitely. I, I'm a big Indian, Indian food fan and we lived in Austin for a while and there's in North Austin, there's a huge Indian community that's really not very well known. They've got lots of... Um, engineers have moved into the area because Dell Computer is there, 3M is there, all these high-tech companies. So there's this huge community of Indian folks who live in the North Austin area. And of course, they started opening restaurants. So these are the places Mm -hmm. that I like to look for, not the ones that have become Americanized, but the ones where they're serving the actual Indian community. Those are my favorite kinds of places. Yeah. I mean, I think for any sort of food, you always look, you look for in the restaurant for the Italians. uh, If it's an Italian restaurant, I mean, any, you just try to look for the ethnicity in which the food is to know if it's any good. And this is why folks, Olive Garden is garbage. You will not see Italians, (laughs) real Italians do not eat Olive Garden. Do you see us there? Do you see us talking with our hands? So don't go in there. It is dog shit. We went there, my whole family. We were so horrified from the breadsticks to the check. We were just like, this place is for the dogs. So do you have any favorite uh, places that are closed down because of the pandemic? And you're saying, Lauren, I can't wait. You know, this place is going to open up and I'm really just craving it, but I can't get it yet. I don't know. I mean, part of the great thing about Queens, especially like some of the places out in Howard Beach, like out and like, is some a lot of places bought their building a long time ago, especially the oh, older eateries. Wow. Oh, interesting. And that's, yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know statistics, but I do know some restaurants, you know, they've been around forever and they, by now, they've bought their building. And they, so those are the p- places I think would have a higher chance of 
And especially if they're like deep set in the neighborhood, people are going to really want them around and they'll support them. So I think those have a good chance of, of staying open or especially like a local landlord. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. That's an interesting point because people, if they if they have the building, then their expenses are much lower. They're paying property taxes, of course, but they don't have that rent hanging over their head every single month being like, oh, how am I going to do this? I have no income. Definitely. And so many of them have been like only cash for a long time. They could just take the one that's, st- that's stored in their, their walls, some of the cash <laughs> Any uh, any other places that you recommend? Maybe a neighborhood place that you really love in Queens? Um, I think I would give La Villa a try as well if you're down in deep Queens. I think La Villa is another counterpoint to Gino's. Some people like it much better. They say it's less expensive. You know, people can be snotty in Howard Beach in general. So when you go to Howard Beach, just know people are, can be snot faces and real jerk, jerk heads. But like you're there for the food, you drive, you park, you get out, and you go home because um, they're not worth being around any other time because they can be real not nice people. So so just go there for the food, um, enjoy Gino's, enjoy La Villa. And I'd say like the also have the ices at Gino's. I think that they're definitely like worth worth a shot. And then to take stuff home, I would go to Brother's Grocery because Brother's Grocery has um, a special takeout wing and they do great great Italian dishes. And also they have homemade ravioli. And that is great. So you can stock up on that as well. And you might want to go inside. They also make, you wouldn't expect it, a great veggie burger. They make a dope veggie burger. Yeah. Well, those are some great recommendations. Uh, Before we let you go, you're, in addition to being a comedian and an actor, you're also a podcaster. Your podcast is called Reconcile the Isle. Um, Tell me, a give me a quick thumbnail on that podcast and where people can pick that up. Great. So if you would like to join us and reconcile the aisle where my characters and I help us understand how we can have meaningful dialogue about difficult topics. And you can find that at laurenlogi.com slash podcast. That's laurenlogi.com slash podcast. And it's part of, as long as the, the Radio Misfits Network, it's also on that website as well. I just want to say thank you and thanks, Melania, for being on the show today. It was fun and I can't wait for thank Queens you. to start opening up again so that I yeah. can uh, get back to New York and visit some of these places. Absolutely. And and I do have a special offer for your listeners. Oh, great. Yep. So if they buy the ebook version of Inside Melania or even the hardcover version, reach out to me with your receipt and I will send you a really fun bookmark and a fun Melania sticker that will make you laugh. So um, if you're supporting the book, I will support you with those things. So let me know. Perfect. And you can find that at InsideMelania.com. You know, I've never been to Queens except for a Mets game I went to maybe 10 years ago. But I got to get to some of those places Lauren talks about. It just sounds great. And there are links to Lauren's website and her books in the show notes, also the places she talks about. You can get that. Uh, the best place is radiomisfits.com. I won't go into the reasons, but if you go to radiomisfits.com, you can actually get the links there instead of just the uh, text of the names. And on my website, destinationeatdrink.com, you can scratch your travel itch. My Latest blog post is about a treacherous drive to reach a dangerous stretch of coastline on Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Read about that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash 
blog. I've also added interactive maps to over 40 worldwide destinations, including my picks for places to eat and drink, things to do, places to stay, best places to shop. Well, that's it for this week. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Supreme Leader Ed Silla. Thank you, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <laughs>